Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and you? Well, I'm under the weather, but only because it's raining. <laughs> I think I am too here. It's uh, been a wet day outside, but not yeah. inside. As long as hopefully, we get blown away, we'll make it. Yes, and hopefully the rain will not uh, uh, affect our, our spirits today and what we'd like to share on our podcast. It won't dampen my enthusiasm. Okay, this is episode 32 in our podcast, Apocalypse is Coming. And today, John, we want to do a slightly different thing. In the past uh, many episodes, which we start on April the 1st, We've dealt with various aspects of the end times, uh, signs of the Antichrist, signs of the rapture, and the meaning of the rapture, when does it occur, and so forth, the need for perseverance in these times. And sort of building off that last uh, two episodes dealing with perseverance, we want to uh, give our listeners some encouragement in, in regards to how to face uh, the present trials that are portents, we believe, of the end times. Uh, what can we do? May I say the secret for victorious living as we face the trials of the end times? How do we face uh, the trials that we all face triumphantly? Because uh, the scriptures make it very clear that we are not to uh, suffer defeat or discouragement, but to find uh, the resources for victorious living, even as we face the end times. You know, Anxiety toward the end times is real. Anxieties concerning all kinds of things. And so what we're going to share today will be principles or ideas that help Christians, whatever trials they may be facing. Uh, but our primary focus is on the looming end times crises or the portents thereof. Because the portents of the end times bring an urgency, a seriousness, a sobriety, and a commitment that is unmatched by other challenges that we may be facing in our lives. I know that's an overly broad statement, but frankly, uh, everything else that a Christian may go through, whatever kinds of sufferings, persecutions, uh, afflictions, as we face the end times, that specter is far greater in consequence for all of our lives uh, than the uh, personal sufferings we may be going through. So obviously, uh, are facing the portents of the end times concerns a time that is unique in all Christian history. I say obviously because saying it is unique means it's one of a kind. And never before have Christians been up against the portents of the end times as they are today. We need only mention things such as the pandemic that the whole world is suffering at the present time and it seems to be getting worse, but also the economic distress, loss of employment, uh, school, uh, challenges in the sense that children in many states cannot go to school at all, or they're greatly hampered from going to school, and the pressure that this puts on the parents uh, at home and how the students will be educated at home via uh, distance learning and all of that. Yep. So these are unprecedented times. So what we want to answer is the, this question today. What assets or resources can we discover from the Bible that will assist us in the end times. I put these together, John, in seven short, succinct statements, and we are doing this for the sake of our listeners, that they can remember these and recall them to mind. They all begin with P, and, it, and each of these involves just one or two words, which we'll then expand upon. 
<laughs> there are no doubt other fees that we could provide and search out and so forth. But these are among, I think, the most important. Very good. First of all, yes, John? No, nope, very good, very good. Yeah, all the all of this alliteration. Uh, uh, it sounds like you're uh, getting ready to preach here. Well, isn't that what you were trained to do as a pastor? Well, something like that. But they said three points, and I could never get away with only doing three points. Yes. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave our re listeners with seven today. So first of all, it is the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ. Jesus, uh, just before he uh, uh, ascended to heaven, after his death, burial, and glorious resurrection, met with the apostles, and his final words, according to the Gospel of Matthew, are encompassed in what we call the Great Commission. Uh, the disciples met Jesus uh, in Galilee to a mountain, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm reading from Matthew 28, and now we come to the last three verses, 18, 19, and 20. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of all the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things I have commanded you, and surely I am with you all times, always, to the very end of the age. Now, John, the way I translated those three verses, I meant to say all four or five different times. It struck me of how all-encompassing this promise of the Lord Jesus is in his final message to his disciples before he left this earth. First of all, he mentioned that all authority is given to him no doubt meaning from the Father. It is he, the Father, who gives authority to the overcomer, as we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And I'm reminded of Daniel and how Daniel covers many of the things that Jesus has in his final words to his disciples. In Daniel, chapter 7, in verses 13 and 14, we are told that the uh, Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And we believe that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself claimed that he was the fulfiller of these words. Yep. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was, rep was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Yep. We can see in this, uh, these two verses from Daniel how similar are the words of Jesus in his last uh, final uh, discourse, uh, the Great Commission with his uh, disciples. All authority is given to him. There is no limit on this. All power in heaven and on earth. That means the entire, uh, should I say, congregation of beings in the heavens, encompassing the triune God himself, but all the angelic hosts and whatever other uh, being may inhabit uh, the unseen world, uh, all their authority is given to Jesus, and then all authority on earth. He is the presumptuous, uh, the presumed king to come and declare uh, his right to actually rule on earth. But in the meantime, he still has authority over all the earth. 
you know, in his last, in the temptation that, that Satan brought to Jesus mm -hmm. in Matthew chapter four, while in the wilderness, in his final, the third temptation that Satan brings, he claims to have all the kingdoms of this world and would give them to Christ if only Jesus would bow down and worship him. <laughs> and yet Jesus could not do that, obviously, as God himself. And uh, it, Jesus responds by saying that uh, only he is worthy to be worshipped. That is, he himself, Jesus, is, the own, is alone the, the one to be worshipped and his father. So uh, all, the, all the kingdoms and, and authorities or powers that we ever might contemplate belong to Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Right. Jesus, uh, Jesus cites all the realms of reality that exist in heaven and earth, including all the forces of wickedness that he permits. Ephesians 6 talks about this in the sense of uh, believers need to be on their guard uh, about the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. Another uh, characteristic of these verses is that all the nations are involved. There's no limitation on earth to his power and authority. And last of all, the whole Trinity is involved. Then he also says, I'm going to teach you, uh, I want you to uh, teach the nations to obey everything or all the things I've commanded you. So there's no part of any biblical doctrine that we should skip mm -hmm. over or think lightly of or fail to uh, enunciate as we teach people the gospel and the doctrines of scripture. So what a powerful uh, reinforcement of the presence of Christ. His last words is, uh, are, that I am with you always, even to the very end. And it's interesting to me that uh, he culminates with the words to the end of the age. Yep. That means that he had you and me, John, and all believers presently living today, all those who will be living up to the very appearance of the Antichrist, uh, and then his second return in, uh, to do battle at Armageddon, he had us in mind to the end of the age. Well, that's a great that's a great P, perhaps the most important one, the presence of Jesus Christ. Jim. He promised to be with us all in with us all during all the times or afflictions or anxiety that we may experience. The second P is how I related it, and that is promised reward. No believers are promised reward at the judgment seat of Christ or persevering through the trials to come. This is a tremendous passage, and it's a sober one from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul has been talking about uh, transferring our present earthly body uh, and replacing it with the heavenly body, which will come to pass at the resurrection, either at the rapture of the church, uh, at the beginning of the tribulation, or for Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation. But nevertheless, after talking about the various uh, uh, bodies that we now experience and will experience, he says, we are confident, I say, and would rather or prefer to be away from this, this body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And then here's a powerful verse, where we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us is the purpose may receive what is due for us, do us for the thing done while in the body, whether good or bad. We are going to receive a reward 
So the promised reward comes to believers who persevere uh, all during the time of the present trials and to those living during the great tribulation, they who persevere as well to the end. But the Lord has a wonderful reward for our perseverance and to every believer, he can be assured of a, a special place that God has for them in the place of reward and in eternity. These words are repeated somewhat uh, closely in Romans 14, talking about uh, the judgment seat of Christ and the uh, opportunity to receive reward for our faithfulness. Uh, Romans 14, 10 through 12 says this. So then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? Contempt, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, said the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. This is the promised reward. We can be assured that if we have lived faithfully, God will be faithful and reward us according to those matters. So that's promised reward, our second P. Our third P is power to overcome. Believers are promised that their faith will overcome and in the end be victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. I think of those wonderful promises given in almost the last book of the Bible, 1 John chapter 5. And John talks about the, great, uh, the greatness of our faith. Let me read a couple of verses here. 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And now we get to these crucial verses. In fact, this is love for God. to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now John asks this important question, who is it that overcomes the world? The answer is only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So John makes it very clear that our faith in the Son of God in Jesus Christ is that which will overcome the world. You know, people going through uh, testings and trials even now and are anxious about the end times and all that that means are promised here that they will overcome the world, they will be victorious, by their faith, that is, they continue to believe and endure. And I found that there was another interesting promise made by the Apostle Paul at the end of the book of Romans in chapter 16, in which he promises that believers overcome Satan. You know, Christians may be taken up with a, a great uh, deceit, thinking that uh, uh, Satan uh, may be crushing them and uh, afflicting them and so forth. But in the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 20, Paul says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. As you stop and think about that verse, I think that this has an eschatological, ultimately an eschatological meaning, that Satan is going to be crushed even though he's going to be the inspirer of the Antichrist, he's going to uh, be the one to lead uh, 
the nation's in rebellion against God. He's the one that's going to uh, empower the Antichrist, bring all kinds of uh, evil upon the earth. And yet this promise, Paul says, means that Satan will crush, be crushed under uh, the feet of believers by the God of peace. An interesting paradox right there, isn't it, John? It is. The it is. You know, there's the crush Satan. Go ahead. Well, there's one thing uh, out of the passage in uh, in First John five that uh, I'd venture to point out, uh, and that's especially when you got to verse five, it said, "Who is the one that overcomes, but the one that believes uh, in in uh, Jesus as as the Son of God?" Uh, the interesting thing is is how John chooses to cast that. He uses technically uh, a participle there to speak of the one who believes in Jesus, but it's a present participle. So it's the one who continues uh, in his belief in Jesus. And there's a there's what we would call a continuing or a durative sense there uh, that's very important to the issue. Uh, I, I, I used to be concerned about those who would uh, sometimes give testimony in church to their faith in Christ. And uh, uh, every now and then you'd have somebody come in and they'd say, well, I walked the aisle when I was seven years old. And this is coming out of the uh, mouth of somebody who was in his 70s. And I said, do you have anything more recent than that? You know, to justify <laughs> your, to your belief. And that's what John is speaking of there. Exactly. And, you know, uh, when you think of the context of the, uh, of the first epistle of John, he earlier deals with, uh, the deceit of the Antichrist who will deny, that is, reject the belief in the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. Right. And so it is the believer, the one who continues to believe, that has promised power. Right. I think that among our listeners, there are those who feel defeated. And certainly during the time of the Great Tribulation, uh, the deceit will be so powerful as to cause Christians to feel defeated. They'll feel uh, basically overcome by evil or, or the Antichrist or his uh, followers. But this is a promise that is supreme to all of that. Believers will overcome the world, whatever the Antichrist or Satan may throw at them, and they will overcome uh, Satan himself. Yep. So what a wonderful uh, promise this is. We have power to overcome. A fourth P, the provision of joy. Provision of joy. You know, the scriptures do not promise happiness to us all, believers, but it does promise joy, an enduring conviction of everlasting hope and fulfillment of that hope, and therefore we have joy. We are promised that their trials, that our trials will work to bring great joy. We can think of James 1, verses 2 and following. Count it all joy. James says, when you fall into various kinds of trials, because this will in, increase and uh, uh, inform us sufficiently so that we may be able to endure, and endurance will be rewarded in the end and find its fulfillment. I think of Revelation 19.7, near the end of the book of Revelation, in the whole, in the chapter that describes uh, the battle of Armageddon, just before that, John the Apostle uh, is told how that at the return of Jesus Christ, 
called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb, there will be joy for all the Christians who will be participating in that. So we have unsurpassable joy. Uh, I think of Paul's words at the end of, book, of the book of Romans again in Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Uh, all joy. And then there's uh, the promise in uh, chapter 16, verse 20 and following. Uh, I'm thinking now of the upper room discourse where Jesus promises that the disciples' grief will change to joy upon his resurrection and return. Right. Chapter 17, verse 13. So we have unprecedented joy or the provision of joy. Uh, that's our fourth P. Our fifth P is peace in the midst of turmoil. My, how the world is in turmoil today, and it seems increasingly so. Uh, John 14, verse 27, the Upper Room Discourse, the yep. last major discourse that Jesus gives to his disciples, tells them not to be troubled, not to be afraid, because he will provide peace. A uh, chapter later or so, chapter 16, verse 33, uh, Jesus promises that he will give his peace to those and that they will overcome the world because he has overcome the world so a wonderful promise peace in the midst of great turmoil john i think that uh, as we reflect upon the news virtually every day how it uh, projects uncertainty uh, discouragement turmoil uh, uh, tumult and so forth just the opposite of peace here christians our promise that they will have something that the world does not have and cannot ever have right. apart from Jesus Christ. Right. Peace in the midst of turmoil. Another P that I think is significant, this is number six, protection from the evil one, Satan himself. I wanna read some verses from the Upper Room Discourse. And John, I think you have your Bible open. Uh, why don't you read those verses for us from John 17, there in chapter uh, 17, verses 11 and following. I do. I just, Can you do that? right here. Read that. Yeah, 17, 11 through 15. Uh, Jesus says, and I am no more in the world. This is from the old uh, New American Standard. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. This is part of uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer to the Father uh, uh, in anticipation uh, of his going to the cross. And I come to thee, he says, Holy Father, keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Yes, and go ahead and read a couple more verses. Well, I guess that is it uh, through verse 15. 
you know, as you were reading those, I was struck by the fact that in this uh, same paragraph, Jesus promises joy, that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. My, when you stop to think about that, the full measure of his joy <laughs> is promised to every believer and disciple of his. Uh, I would suggest, John, that none of us have probably experienced the full measure of Jesus' joy within us. There are times, you know, that we uh, come to exhilaration of joy and the assurance of our salvation. But we also are often beset with doubt and frustration and anxiety. But Jesus promised and prayer to the Father that his joy would be full uh, within his followers. And the other thing that strikes me is that this promise of joy is put right up against the promise to protect his followers from the evil one. He, is, he did say in the early verse that you read that uh, he, Jesus, protected them and kept them safe. By that name you, you gave me. None has been lost except uh, Judas. Uh, so the other 11 prevailed as faithful disciples, not because they had greater spiritual insight, greater spiritual power, greater uh, depth of knowledge. They prevailed, according to this verse, because Jesus protected them from the evil one. Yeah. And uh, now he promises that... Uh, uh, God would continue to protect them from the evil one. And uh, even though we're not of the world, and he goes on to say in prayer to God, his father, that he would sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. And he's in, uh, as you have sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I set apart myself, that they too may be truly set apart or sanctified. Right. Now, what a tremendous prayer on behalf of uh, his people that Jesus makes here in these verses. And particularly, we're pointing attention to protection from the evil one. Uh, again, uh, I suspect that there are people among our listeners who feel distraught, perhaps uh, afflicted by Satan or satanic uh, thoughts. And on and on, we could elaborate on that. But here's the promise that Jesus would protect them, protect us, uh, from the evil one. And Jesus makes this prayer uh, to the Father. We have no doubt that Jesus' prayer was heard and will be assuredly answered because it comes from his son. Protection from the evil one. I think we said before in previous episodes, John, that uh, those who are nearest to God experience the uh, greatest uh, sense of satanic uh, opposition. This was certainly true of Jesus. Yep. Tempted as he was in the wilderness and later on through the ministry, even his own follower, Judas, uh, and even Peter embodied Satan at times. Next to him, I think, is the Apostle Paul, who was uh, given, among other things, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger, messenger from Satan, as he calls it, to afflict him and so forth. And, uh, and I think Jesus and Paul and all those who are closest to God feel the affliction and opposition of Satan the most. And that may be uh, both a warning to us and also an encouragement that God is with us and will preserve us. So finally, we come to the seventh P. So we've gone through the presence of Christ, the promised reward, power in overcoming, the provision of joy, peace, and protection from the evil one. And now last of all, 
the pleasure of Jesus Christ. And my idea here is this. Believers, by persevering, will bring joy and pleasure to the heart of their Father and the heart of their Lord and Savior. I don't think we reflect on this enough, John. Uh, it tells us in John 15, again in the Upper Room Discourse, that Jesus' joy comes to pass because of our obedience. We keep his commandment. And then these powerful passages from Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says this, we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And away from it means to be at home with the Lord. Notice Paul says we want to please him. So God is pleased. Jesus Christ is pleased when we do uh, obedience to him and follow him. And then this passage from Romans 17, Paul said that the kingdom of God is not other things, but just these three things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone, Paul says, who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. We do not reflect often enough, I think, about the fact that through our obedience, love, and devotion to Jesus Christ, we bring joy and pleasure to the heart of God. Think of it. Right now, by my seeking to please God, he takes pleasure and delight in that. And in a sense, I think it is correct to say, God experiences something at this very moment that he has never experienced before. Amazing. It is amazing, Jim. You know, I, I, I was thinking here, of uh, the words of Jesus to his disciples and what we should all attain to hearing uh, on some day in the future when, when Jesus looks us full in the face and says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. But for him to say well done uh, means that that is coming out of his satisfaction and his pleasure uh, with our obedience to him. Yes. Is that in the uh, Olivet Discourse in chapter 25? I, I believe. I may, I may have to run that through my concordance at the moment. But, yes, we'll uh, I'll, do that. I'll find out where that is here. Yes, but, but that assumes this very principle that we've been talking about. We can bring pleasure and joy to the heart of God and of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus, by pleasing, doing those things that please him. Right. He, he experiences something at that moment that he's never experienced before. That is just a, a, a wonderful, glorious thought. Yep. So we can bring this new sense of delight to the heart of God that he has never experienced before. I don't think I'm stating that wrongfully. Well, in conclusion... Uh, we think of these P's, and I hope that our listeners are encouraged by them. Some are youths in Christ, young people in Christ, that is, new believers. Some are believers of many years. Some are at the beginning of life, in the mid, midst of life, in their years. Others are at the end of life, let's say. But these seven things are powerful and meaningful. The presence of Christ promise to the end and we are facing the end we believe 
promised reward, power to overcome, the provision of joy, deep and lasting, everlasting joy, peace in the midst of turmoil, protection from the evil one, and then the pleasure of Jesus Christ that we can bring to the heart of God and our Savior. What wonderful confidence and spiritual possessions we have for the coming end times and the times leading up to the end times. Uh, so with these words, John, uh, we wish our listeners uh, Godspeed and blessing in the days and weeks and months that lie ahead. We do. Jim, I'm, I'm reminded of one thing that my mother always said to me. Eat your peas. <laughs> and and now, now, I, now I know uh, that was an adumbration, if you will, a portent of uh, the good things to come in Christ. Yes, and we could go on and, and list many other Ps, perhaps, and, and no doubt, but these are seven among the most important, I think. There you go. Uh, have a good evening, John. And you too, Jim. We'll look forward to next time. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye.